Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast software, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or the Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash otrdetectives to make sure you never miss an episode. I also do encourage you to check out our other podcast and I want to mention our World War II podcast, The War. It's a series I recorded some years back around the time of the uh, 70th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. As with more than 200 episodes, we journey from the pre-war era through the war all the way through the post-war era to news reports, drama, comedy, music, and more. Check it all out over at thewar.greatdetectives.net. And you can find all the podcasts we do over at greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of I Hate Crime. And this one was episode 134 from 1952, and the title is The Road to Gundagai. I hate crime. A case I'd been on, quite a case. Take me to the spot where a dog sits on that thing you call a tucker box. I left Gundagai late after sundown for Sydney. I'd bounced through Bookham, headed for Yass, when my headlights lamped on a figure lying on the highway. It was a dame, stretched out cold. I nearly broke an ankle in a pothole getting to the body. Help me! Help! Don't move! She was young, full of curves as the Hume Highway, but no potholes. Her eyes matched the night, dark. But there were no stars, only fear. Please help me. Where's it hurt? I... I... Legs busted? Let me feel. <laughs> hey! Take your hands off me! But I... Take them off! You mean swipe by a hit and run? It's my sister. Car knock her too? No. She won't wake up. It was the soup! Uh... Luck, Miss... Uh, Laurel, Lynn Laurel. Oh, please help me. Hey, hey, what's your angle, babe? I I had to lie on the road. It was the only way I could make you stop. Please hurry. Why me? Other cars have driven along here tonight. They wouldn't stop. They thought I was a gypsy. What is this? Oh, please. It's Lorna, my sister. Yeah, she won't wake up. I I tried. Listen, sweetheart, maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm not ticking over too well. Get in my car. I've I've got a slug of scotch. But don't you understand? Nope. But they've got her. They've got her, I tell you. She's up there all alone. Sure, sure, sure. Get in. Have a cigarette. There isn't time. Your act's slipping. Try some of this. Go on, it'll help you remember your lines. (coughs) Too fast. I'm all right now. Now, let's work on it, huh? How come you stretched out like that? 
I had to make someone stop. It was the only way I could think of. Why? Oh, please. You've got to find her. You've got to get her out. Sister Lorna. Yes, yes, yes. You had a row. She tossed you out of the car, drove on. No, no. We took a detour, then went to bed. She was drugged. I wasn't. Are you sure you didn't fall out of a car? I was driving. Sure. Look, I must get to the police. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, the cops. Well, maybe this will break up your game. Take hmm? a look. What? Larry Kent, private investigator. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's my license. Then please help me, Mr. Kent. Take it easy. Have some more medicine. But don't just sit there. Do something. What say you turn back to the first page and start there, huh? <sighs> Lorna and I were driving back to Sydney from Melbourne. We have our own car. What make? New Buick. Uh-huh. About a mile, no, no, two miles on from here, we suddenly came to a sign stretched right across the road. It said detour, and an arrow pointed to the left. So? You know how they're always trying to repair the highway. We didn't think it unusual. We'd followed lots before. Yeah. We followed this one. It led off into a terribly rocky track. It ended in a... a one of those farm guest houses. And? Well, we were tired. We decided to stay till morning. Had something to eat. Was shown our room. We went to bed. Lorna fell asleep straight away. Then I remembered I hadn't locked the car. I, I went out to find it. Then? I couldn't. It wasn't there. It had gone. I went back to Lorna. And she'd vamoosed in a cloud of blue smoke. No, no, no I, I couldn't wake her. I shook her and shook her. A long drive, a few snorts on the oh, way. Oh, it wasn't that. It was then I knew the soup had been drugged. You see, I don't like soup. Lorna had mine. Greedy. I got dressed, slipped out of the house and, and ran for my life. Oh, sure. Don't you believe me now? Come on, Lynn. I've been around. Watch your angle. Watch your little racket. Does you... a husband come screaming up with phony cops, try to pin a snatch and assault charge on me? I pay out to avoid scandal. Oh, please, 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 Larry, I've told you the truth. Your story's all cockeyed. You need more practice before you pull it off. Why won't you believe me? I tell you there was that sign, that detour. And we did drive to the farmhouse. Our car did disappear. Lorna was drugged. Oh, no. Now, look, sweetheart. I... I've just remembered. Yeah, you just remembered where you left your car. The mechanic. Ah. Uh... We... we needed more petrol. We woke up a garage at Bookham. He opened the pump and served us. You know what? A guy did just that for me back in Gundagai. When I went looking for the car, I heard his voice talking to the woman in the farmhouse. Well, maybe he wanted to buy some fried chicken. He, yes, I remember now. I heard him say he could change the engine number, but the woman said it was going in the baron jack. Out. What, what did you say? Out. But... Out. 
Mechanics, gypsies, Mickey Finn soups, dames and detours. Now that... Oh, Larry! Nuts! Catch some other sucker. Oh, please. Please, please, I can prove it. Yeah? That detour sign, it can't be more than two miles away. At least drive me back to it. I said okay, started the car, and drove slowly. If the dame was trying to pull a stunt, then it was a new one on me. The speedo showed a mile and a quarter when she suddenly grabbed my arm and pointed. I stopped and looked. See? There it is. No detour sign. Oh, when? No, it, it's gone. No. But see, the track we took, the detour, I remember it. A stretch of dirt, then the rocky part. So what? The farmhouse. It's only about half a mile down there. Oh, please. Now you've come this far. So we were off again. My jalopy bounced and jerked over the rocks. Undergrowth autographed the duco. I figured the track hadn't been used for years. Then it stopped. So did I. In the headlights. There's the house. Sure. Oh, come on. Please, Larry. The woman's name is Mrs. Kirby. Oh, hurry, hurry. I followed, curious now, to see the end of her screwy stunt. Lynn Laurel went up to the front door. I expected to be run off the joint by a shotgun, but the old dame who opened the door was a fine stand-in. Yeah? I've come back, Mrs. Kirby. Back? Who are you? What do you want? I want my sister and our car. What are you talking about, young lady? It's no use pretending, Mrs. Kirby. Kirby? I'm not Mrs. Kirby. The name's O'Connor. Let me get my sister. Young man, what's the meaning of this? I guess that was my cue. I showed the old shotgun my credentials. Something flashed in her eyes, but her voice was still a blast. I don't understand. A young woman, this hour of the night, coming here with a private detective, calling me by a strange name? Seen her before? Is that a joke? Uh, she thinks she and her sister checked in here for the night. They drove in, then she couldn't find her car. This is a farm. Not a boarding house. Mrs. Kirby, let me get past. You don't need me, Mr. Kent. You need a doctor. You know a mechanic works in Bookham? Of course I do. There, I told you. Was he here tonight? Well, what's wrong with that? He's my kid brother. Often comes over on his motorbike. Any law against it? Lynn, maybe you could describe the room you were in, huh? Uh, it was at the far end of a passage. On the right. Uh, had a window in the middle of the far wall, a double bed, a, a brass bed, patchwork quilt. All this is crazy, ridiculous. Uh, and a kangaroo skin rug on the floor. There was one of those old-fashioned washstands next to a big wardrobe. Okay, okay, Lynn. Relax. Uh, Mrs. Uh, O'Connor. Uh, would you mind? Uh, kind of quick look. If I hadn't once been a nurse in a mental asylum, you've got to humour cases like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not mad. Then show me the room you talk about. It's down that passage. All right. But be quiet. My husband's asleep. He's got a white moustache. No collar to his shirt, none button waistcoat. Young lady... There's the room. Do you mind? Go ahead. If it'll do any good... Only a spare room. My sister's in there. Okay, open up. Go get her. 
I'll hold the lamp up for you, miss. Well? This is the room. The same room. Yet. Yet? But. But it, it isn't. Uh huh. What's the payoff? Where's the bed gone? That brass bedstead. Yes. I've seen lots of cases like this. Where's the wardrobe? The floor rug? And where's Lorna? Lorna? Lorna, where are you? Where are you? Take it easy. She's an escaped lunatic. Yeah. No. No, you all think I'm mad, but I'm not. This is the house. We did come here. We did come to this room. We did. We did. Where's my sister? Where is she? Where is she? Relax. Lana! Lana! What have they done to you? What have they done? Where are you? Lana, where are you? She's getting violent. Keep away. Keep away from me. Lana! Lana! Lynn, I gotta do it to you, babe. I'd come across some screwy dames in my time, but this Lynn Laurel hit the jackpot. I had to slap her plenty before she snapped out of her hysterics. I backed her from the farmhouse, apologized to the old shotgun, and got to the car. You... You think I'm hysterical, don't you, Larry? Oh, no, not hysterical, babe, just nuts. You're going on to yes? Sure. Take me? Well, I gotta take you someplace. Then take me to the police station there. Now, wait a minute. Drop me there. They'll lock you up. They'll believe me. Believe me, the cops aren't dumb. Please take me to yes. Okay, you're heading for a straitjacket and the ice cure. And please hurry. I drove back along the rocky track to the Hume Highway, gave the jalopy the gas. For once, I rode with a dame with only one object in mind, to drop her fast. We rolled into yes, pulled up. The cop house was sleeping on the other side of the street. Now you'll see how real police work. Now listen, babe. Don't babe me. Babe, for the last time, what's the angle? What's the payoff? So you don't think I'm insane? I said... And I said our car's been stolen and my sister drugged. Yeah, yeah, you went over that plenty. That woman was lying. She's no more Mrs. O'Connor than I am. Come over to the post office. I'm going to the police. Look, you're a nice looker. <laughs> Thanks. I'd hate to see you locked up as a nut. I thought you Americans were smart. Listen, Lynn, I hate crime. If I really thought... Thought? That's all you've done, thought. I'm telling lies. I'll prove it. <sighs> Uncle Sam's bright boy. Yeah. That's why I'll prove it in that post office. If there's a Mrs. Kirby in the district, it'll be on the electoral rolls. Well, yes. Yes, so it will. The post office was closed and dark, but I beat a bolero on the side door. A light bleared. Then the door unlocked. The dame that opened it lacked only a broomstick. What is it? What, what? What is it? Can't you see that we're closed for the night? What, what? Is the uh, postmaster around? You're talking to his mistress. I'm the postmistress here. I'm sorry to get you up. What, what? Please, could we see the electoral rolls? At this time of night? Yeah. It's most important. 
Come back in the morning at ten. What, what? Sorry. Take your foot out of my door. We won't be a minute. Do you want me to call the police? What, what? Yes. No. Ah, drunk. You've been imbibing the wines of ruin. The electoral rolls, ma'am. Don't ma'am me. What, what? It's a matter of life and death. Fiddlesticks. Oh, please. What, what? The lady said, please. I can hear. Then listen, we want to see the electoral roll. You're mad. No elections coming on? Do you know Mrs. Kirby lives off the main highway back about 15 miles? Kirby? Kirby? No such name in this district. But there is. There must be. What? What? Young lady, let me tell you, I've been born and bred in this district. I know everybody. There's no Kirby. There's got to be. There's no Kirby on the electoral rolls. How do you know? What? What? I'll show you. She did. No Kirby. But there was a Mrs. O'Connor. We went back to the car. I... I can't understand it. Lynn, you sure you didn't have a smash, a knock on the head? I'm beginning to wonder. Yet, where's Lorna? Our car? We do live in Sydney, so what am I doing way out here? Well, I'd get you like that sometime. Maybe you were taking a vacation around about... had a blackout. We'd been to Melbourne. Look, see this pearl necklace? Yeah. They're no phonies. Both Lorna and I bought a string. They cost us 250 pounds each. Say, that's a lot of dough to decorate a neck. Larry, do you think that mechanic, the one in Bookham, saw the pearls on your cart, telephoned Mrs. Kirby, and she put up that detour sign? Len, I thought you were over your brainstorm. But I told you I heard his voice in the farmhouse. She admitted he'd been there. Said he often rode out on his motorbike. Uh-huh. And... There's only one track into the place. Some ride over those rocks. But not over that soft dirt part leading off the highway. It's only a few yards. Yes. Larry? There were no wheel marks. Or rocks. That's why the track looked as though it had never taken traffic. Larry! There were no wheel marks over that dirt part. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. He have been there. The woman said so, and I heard him. If he rode his bike, who wiped out the wheel marks? I spun the car round, headed back along the highway. We nearly missed the turnoff. This time I parked on the main road. Killed the engine. Lights. Made sure my gun was loose in the shoulder holster. Dug out a flash. There are our tracks. Your car, I mean. Only yours. Going in and coming out. That dirt had been swept level. Only my car's double track showed. Nothing else. 
I circled through the bush. My shins made the contact. What is it? Your detour sign. Shoved out of sight. Why, yes. That's it. Now do you believe me? Come on. It's beginning to click. This time we didn't advertise our arrival. We walked. A couple of times we lost the track. Then the farmhouse loomed up. Dark on three sides. On the fourth... Larry. Yeah. A light. I guess it must be in a... cellar of some kind. What can we do? Anything but make a noise. I'm taking a peek. We inched up to the cobweb window. It opened into a half underground room. I could see the old dame, an old guy with a white mustache, no collar, open waistcoat. Lynn's story began to match. Someone else stepped into the room. That's him. The mechanic. Look in the far right corner. Lorna. Oh, Larry, what have they done to her? I've seen chickens dressed up like that for frying. Oh, no. Look. Seems like they're beating their gums about something. Larry. The old man. He's got an iron bar. Larry, he's going to hit Lorna. Time for playing Peeping Tom was over. I pulled out my thirty-eight, smashed the window. Took a snapshot of the old boy. Look out, Lynn. The mechanic had his get out and spitting. My third shot plugged him. He joined the old geezer on the floor. I went in. Lorna, Lorna. She's still out to it, kid. Larry, there's the bed, the furniture from the room. Where's the... Lynn, stay here. The old dame's hightail. She's taken his gun. I pussyfooted it up the stairs into the dark house and listened. The old witch was playing hard to get. My knees bumped a chair. Had a stretch I could think of easier ways of spending a night, but the dame was a killer. I found the door. Opened it. Not quiet enough. The slug went between me and the door jam. She'd made the open air. I felt like some myself. Then I stopped. The silence wasn't nice. I should have found and fixed a getaway car, but I hadn't. So I did the next best thing. Slammed a new clip into my 38. That was her... her racket, Larry. Yeah. Yeah, she was in cahoots with that mechanic. When he spotted a likely car, someone with good dough or jewelry like your pearls, he phoned on ahead. And she'd put up the detour sign, pretend she ran a farm guest house. Uh-huh. Back in the States, we, we call them murder farms. Oh, horrible. 
But, Larry, what did they do with the cars? Sell them? No, they were satisfied with the dough and the jewellery on their victims. They dumped them and the cars into that uh, bar or something dam. <laughs> Baron Jack. Yeah. It was about a mile through the bush from their property. The, the cops dredged up enough cars and bodies to swing them all high. Oh. And to think... That... Don't. Oh, Larry. Huh? Larry, I, I... I never paid you for finding my sister. No, that's right. Well, um... What's your... Your fee, Larry? Money's no object. When you're flush with folding money yourself at the time, and a dame says that to you, what would you say? Yeah. Me too. Good night. Welcome back. Well, some fun reading on Gundagai, which is a relatively small town in Australia, a population of less than 2,000, but has nevertheless taken up a very big role in Australian culture and in literature as like this representative of a typical Australian town. Now, Larry also referenced the dog on the Tucker box is an actual monument in Australia. It was unveiled in 1932. And the idea of the monument was the dog was standing on the Tucker box, which was a green metal box containing food in order to protect it. Although there was an original poem, which had other meanings that were interpreted other ways, but that wasn't the basis of the monument. And actually around the time of the 60th anniversary of the monument, they started doing an annual Dog on the Tucker Box Festival. If you're curious to learn more about it, you can check it out over at thedogonthetuckerbox.com. That's thedogonthetuckerbox.com. Now, uh, I, as to the story itself, I think Larry was a little too incredulous at this lady's story. Uh, I think just because it was so far out there, and I don't think she was really acting like she was... Uh, unhinged or, you know, out of touch with reality. Uh, and, and this, I guess, is kind of a who-knows sort of thing because uh, we don't have any of the episodes around this. It could be that Larry had been through a ringer with a lot of people, uh, you know, just not being truthful to him for several weeks, and so he just approaches this as uh, totally skeptical and requiring all kinds of proof, uh, even though it's apparent that there was something going on at this house. And I think the incredulity kind of went on a little bit too long, but again, it may have made sense in the context in which this episode was first played. All right, well, uh, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. 
Uh, we have an email from Diane regarding episode 119. And she writes, Hi Adam, first I'd like to thank you for your Great Detectives podcast. You introduced me to a number of great radio shows over the years. I usually really enjoy the show, but I needed to make a negative comment about the series I Hate Crime. First, I understand that things were different back then. Uh, when these radio shows were created. When I listen, I'm not expecting women characters to be the hero. They're usually pretty silly, and at the best, they're the sidekick who may make an important contribution to solve being the mystery, but not really get credit. But I Hate Crime is way over the top. Every woman character who is introduced has her looks greatly detailed, and then her worth is evaluated by them. This last episode was so bad, I just had to write in. Larry the detective slaps around one of the women characters so that he can get her first name. Then there's the woman manager at the insurance company who hires Larry. He can't stand uh, that she's all business. He says women like that want to be men and wind up becoming ugly. Then to top it off, in the last scene, he insists on kissing her against her will. Then he does it again, and then she likes it. This is sexual assault, plain and simple. No means no, right? Uh, not keep trying because the woman doesn't really know what she wants. Anyway, I've noticed that for other episodes, when there have been offensive or racist material or language, you pointed that out at the beginning of the show. Would it be possible to show the same uh, sensitivity when women are uh, this badly treated? Thank you for the email, Diane. And you know, I think you do have a legitimate point. When hosting this podcast, you know, and we're dealing with programs that are 70 or 80 years old, you don't want to spend a whole lot of time calling fouls on every episode or everything that is inappropriate by today's standards. And I've said before that I assume that the audience is, you know, a discerning adults, or there's at least some supervision involved. And then you have a series like I Hate Crime, where everything is kind of over the top and a bit ridiculous. That said, I think that what you do call out in episode 119 probably should have had a disclaimer, and I will see what I can do about editing the file, and certainly before we go on uh, YouTube, having that edited. Now, certainly in the pop culture of the era, there was a tendency to kind of wink at this sort of thing in certain contexts. No means no was a, a slogan that originated in the 1990s. There were quite a few examples in popular culture of a woman's no actually meaning yes and it being played as a very romantic thing. I don't think there's any even hint of romance or interest and the way it's played here is even more awkward than usual. So again, I, I should have included, uh, I think, more of a heads up to listeners, and I'll try to rectify that. I don't think we're going to have this sort of level of uh, issue come up in the future, uh, looking at the remaining programs we have left. I Hate Crime is kind of next level in that regard. But I'll keep my ears open and evaluate each program as we go through it. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate the email, Diane. And we have a couple comments on YouTube regarding episode 44. 
uh, and Rosner writes, is Larry Kent supposed to be an expatriate Yank? He sounds very Australian to me. Uh, is that what we sound like to them? To quote Larry Kent, yeah. Or, or at least perhaps it was in uh, 1949 to 1959. One thing that I think helps us in our modern culture and having a more realistic idea of how uh, we speak is that there are quite a few uh, programs and movies uh, where we can hear the way an American talks, the way an Australian talks, what an Irish accent uh, sounds like. I mean, and YouTube is particularly helpful with that. Uh, many actors who have to play some nationality they aren't will uh, go on to YouTube and they will find an actor who uses that particular language as their first language, and that was just not the case in Australia at this point. There had been limited exposure to American culture, and this was hurt even more by the fact that if you lived in Australia during this era, the government was uh, discouraging the importation of American uh, entertainment in terms of like syndicated radio programs uh, so that they could encourage the Australian entertainment industry. But they still had a lot of scripts that were adapted from American series and set in American towns. And so you heard a lot of interesting attempts at American accents. And to be fair, if you listen to American radio, you heard a lot of attempts at various foreign accents that the actor did not pull off particularly well. Also regarding episode 44, uh, Eileen writes, I couldn't handle Sammy's voice at all. My husband asked me to turn it off. Well, thanks so much, Eileen. I don't think he, uh, that Sammy has been in it recently. So, sorry you had the difficulty with that one. Alright, well now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Kelly. Kelly's been one of our Patreon supporters since July 2017. Currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Kelly. And that will do it for today. A reminder, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can do so with your favorite podcast software, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or the Apple Music app, or Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. We will be back next Tuesday with Sarah's Private Caper, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Small building we're approaching at the end of the pier. Uh, I don't see any lights in it. No? Uh, but of course not. The windows have been boarded up. Here we are. The door is around this corner. Come. There's no door here. No, indeed, Mitchell. Yeah, I kind of figured this could be a trap. <laughs> Drop the knife. One more inch and you will be... Drop it before I break your arm. Ah! That's better. Now... You and I are going to have a little... No. He brings his knee up into my stomach and I jackknife. By the time I get my wind back, he's halfway down the pier. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box 13 
at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.